you're passionate about transforming retail operations and improving performance, plus you're accountable for key change projects and programs in your company, then you're in the right place. Welcome to the Retail Transformation Show with me, Oliver Banks. Well, hello there. Welcome to the Retail Transformation Show. I'm your host, Oliver Banks, and this is episode 35. Now, it probably goes without saying, but physical stores and locations have always been the backbone of the retail industry. However, physical stores, whether we're talking about high streets, town centres, city centres, malls, shopping centres, outlet centres, out-of-town shopping parks, whatever... Physical stores have been under a huge amount of strain. Really significant pressure and of course we're seeing the effects of that coming through in profit warnings, coming through in store closures, coming through of course in administrations as well unfortunately. But there is certainly still a lot of hope for physical stores. So that's what we're diving into today. And I'm proud to be joined by a special guest, Andrew Busby. Andrew is a retail analyst and commentator. He's actually one of the top 20 retail influencers in the world, as judged by Vend. He's the founder and CEO of Retail Reflections. And he's a prolific writer, particularly on Forbes. He's also regularly speaking He's associated with IBM as one of their social commerce futurists and is a member of a number of different retail advisory boards. So he knows his stuff and he brings it in today's episode, trust me. Now, today's episode was recorded a few weeks ago. So some of the hot breaking news stories that we're talking about are actually a few weeks old now, but I think they're just as relevant. So don't tune out. Show notes, as always, are going to be over at obandco.uk slash 35. And I'm going to include several different links to, to things we're talking about in the episode, as well as some of the brilliant articles that Andrew has written for Forbes. So if you're not familiar with Andrew, go and check him out. All of those links, as I say, are available right now over at obandco.uk slash 35. But just before we get into this with Andrew, do hit subscribe. This is a two-part conversation. So if you hit subscribe, you will make sure that you're not going to miss part two, which is coming next week. So without further ado, let's jump straight on into my conversation with Andrew Busby. And we're talking all about reinvigorating the high street. So today we're lucky to be joined by Andrew Busby. Andrew, how are you doing? I'm very good, thanks Oliver. Great to be here. Well, thanks so much for jumping onto the Retail Transformation Show. We've got a really exciting conversation lined up all about how do we reinvigorate the high street. Now, the retail apocalypse is well publicized. It's been around for a couple of years as a term or retail apocalypse. I've also heard it phrased as generally among the retail community, we're saying it's not an apocalypse, but it is a revolution. It is an evolution. It's an exciting time to be in retail, isn't it, Andrew? 
Oh, well, I don't know. I mean, you know, I think you're right about the retail apocalypse and the high street is dying and it's all doom and gloom. And of course, that is what you might think if you read all the hysterical headlines. But yeah, joking aside, I totally agree with you. It is a very exciting time. Probably very challenging if you're a retailer. Uh, if you're somebody like me who commentates on um, retail and the high street, it's uh, an extremely exciting time because there's just so much to be talking about. So, yeah, I'm sure we're going to cover a lot of that. Um, looking forward to it. Looking forward to talking about the stores and how you reinvigorate uh, the high street. There's so much to discuss about it. Well, I'm glad you've got that, that output. I have to be honest, I was a little worried when you started off there. I thought, oh, no, we're going to be in a doom and gloom, doom and gloom conversation. <laughs> not, a, not at all. And I, and I think that, you know, on a, on a serious note, I, I think it's, it's almost incumbent on the likes of ourselves to be positive, but not in a naive way about the industry. Because for me, kind of setting the scene a little bit is that, that retail is a different sector in as much as we all as shoppers, as consumers, we all have emotional attachments with our favorite brands. You know, we, we have an attachment with, you know, whether it be, I don't know, it could be a Marks and Spencer, it could be a Primark, it could be a Debenhams, it could be a House of Fraser, it could be, you know, I could go on. We have attachments with those brands and a fondness for them that, frankly, we don't have with, say, uh, British Gas. Uh, nothing against British Gas, uh, but they just provide our electricity and our gas. And we don't have a, you know, we, we go to a petrol station and we just expect we're going to be able to put petrol or diesel or whatever in our cars. We don't have that engagement that we do with retail brands. And I think that is why it is so important that we are all kind of, if you like, pull together to navigate our way through what, frankly, are extremely choppy waters at the moment. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's a really optimistic viewpoint to take. So I hope all of our listeners today can can really take that uh, mindset. So Troppy Waters, what do you think are the, the biggest challenges facing high street stores, shopping centre stores, physical stores today, Andrew? Well, let, let's hit a couple of the uh, the elephants in the room straight away. Let, let's, um, let's call out online and Amazon. Amazon are... They're a great company. They're one I admire, but I'm not necessarily in love with them. They are extremely practical and functional. And when I am shopping for stuff, they're great. But, you know, I, I don't have that relationship with them. So clearly they're disrupting many, many sectors. And I think there's a new verb in, in our uh, lexicon now, you know, to be Amazoned <laughs> when they move into your, into your particular sector. Uh, so that's the first one. The second one, uh, and we had a little bit more clarity at around about nine o'clock this morning. I don't know whether um, you or any of the listeners were watching it, uh, but we've got a little bit more clarity around Brexit in a sense that we are, we finally decided we're going to change the singer. Uh, whether we're going to change the, the song or not is another matter. But clearly, again, that uncertainty is having an impact but that will get resolved in some way shape or form and, and we will go back to some sort of normality where we don't have the same degree of uncertainty which is putting back the big ticket items at, at, at the moment so let's kind of clear them out of the way uh, and then you know what are the, some of the other things well rising costs we know that we know that's a constant um, for uh, for retailers for those, which is a majority, who do have a bricks and mortar store of varying sizes, 
most are overspaced. Not all. We heard this week that B&M are opening. Did I hear 15 or 50? I can't remember. But they, they published some very good results, and they're opening more stores. Sure. The likes of Aldi and Lidl are doing so. So it's not... It, it's not doom and gloom across the piece, but generally the decades of growth by opening more space, more stores, has come to quite a juddering halt. Uh, and what we're seeing are retailers having to reverse that trend and completely rethink their uh, business model. So we've got all that. And then, of course, we've got that thorny subject of taxation. Mm. Um, and that's something where we need all the stakeholders to come together. Uh, and I know that a number of different thoughts and ideas have been put forward, such as an online sales tax. Uh, and that was more recently, I think it was last week. I think Dave Lewis is particularly championing that one, right? Interesting that he's particularly um, championing that one. He's supportive of Steve Murrell's uh, co-op. Frankly, it's a an insane idea. All you have to think of is how sales attribution for a start. You know, how do you attribute uh, an online sale? Because as we know, as as shoppers, we're, we're walking into store and we might be we might be browsing and then we might uh, buy online and vice versa. Particularly, and I suppose our you know our omni-channel world where you know people are able to shop from smartphones, doing click and collect. You know, where what counts, what doesn't count. It begins to become a potentially murky water, shall we say? Well, it's very, yeah, the lines get blurred. And, and, and it's, it's fascinating when you listen to um, younger startups who've typically started in an online only, a pure play model, but then they're, they're opening stores. If you listen to them, they just say it's all shopping. To them, it doesn't matter. And I think this is what I, I'm hoping, because I don't like the term omnichannel, to be honest with you, uh, much as I don't like a lot of other terms in retail, like experiential retail. Uh, what, exactly, what exactly does that mean? Maybe we'll come on to that. But they they don't differentiate. It, it, it's all, and, and I think we will see that in um, hopefully in a, a year or two's time, uh, maybe less, that we won't talk about omnichannel. It, it, it'll just be it'll just be shopping. But I think just briefly going back to the the, the topic of um, business rates, what we need is, and I'm just jumping onto my soapbox uh, metaphorically for a second. Uh, what we need is a, a level playing field. Uh, the current system of business rates was devised in 1988 and introduced in 1990. And to put that in perspective, that was five years before Amazon uh, was even around. And, and an Amazon warehouse, and I'm not picking on them, but they're just a good example uh, because they're so successful. A, a warehouse in the middle of nowhere off the M40 in the Midlands or wherever, in my mind, is still selling today, is still selling direct to the consumer in the way that a store on Oxford Street is doing. Mm. And yet they are taxed in completely different ways. Uh, and it is, I think once we do get around, once, once, once we get through this treacle of Brexit and the government can actually focus on what it should be doing, uh, hopefully there will be some bandwidth to address this. Because it is something which, uh, whilst I hesitate uh, to say is killing the high street, it is making life extremely difficult. That's right. It's interesting just reflecting on the concept of a warehouse. I think it's, you know, we're, we're always talking about number of shops shutting and so on. But we're never talking about the number of warehouses opening, which is retail space. 
arguably, we're talking about people losing their jobs. We're never talking about all the warehouse staff that have new jobs to be able to pick all our online orders. It's it's a different balance, a different blend of space, a different blend of employment, I suppose, isn't it? Yeah, that's a very good point, actually. And it's one that, um, no, I, I don't see that either. And, and I guess it's something, it, it's whatever grabs the headlines. But um, <laughs> yeah, I suppose an equal an equal balance doesn't doesn't really uh, sell many newspapers or get many clicks, sorry. No, no, unfortunately not. But it's quite an interesting point because, the, again, the, the, the general consensus, the, the, the popular narrative is that we're going to see less and less, net less and less jobs in retail. I just wonder if that's the case. I mean, I, I'm old enough to remember, can you believe it, pre-email, um, you, know, the, you know, what a wonderful world that was. <laughs> and this is a time when none of us had uh, personal computers or anything like that, you know, so the world was a very different place. But of course, when all that yeah. came along, we were told, oh, it's going to make your life so much easier, it's going to be more efficient, and you're going to have more leisure time. Really? I haven't got more leisure time. Yeah. <laughs> you try telling everyone that when uh, the email pings on you know, sitting on the sofa on Friday night exactly. at 10 p.m. So I, I think that, um, <laughs> yeah, we are going to see different types of jobs. Um, clearly, at an individual level, there will be people who will gain out of that and there will be people who perhaps won't. But what we have to do is look at the industry as a whole and, and say, well, okay, there are going to be there are going to be jobs that we can't even imagine um, today. And I think it's something that the industry needs to pay more attention to in terms of attracting talent to it, making it, selling itself as a viable career opportunity. Because most school leavers or, or uh, postgraduates, would, if you, if you are, talk to them about it, well, they would say, well, yeah, I, I have a satellite job in store and that just, you know, I get a bit of money out of that. They don't perceive retailers any more than that. But then if you talk to retailers, they're saying, oh, we're crying out for data scientists and AI experts and so forth. And of course, you know, these are the very people who are saying, oh, I don't want to stack shelves and get up early on a Saturday morning. So there's a bit of a mismatch there. And I think there needs to be, there needs to be more. Uh, I'm sure there's more that can be done. Um, and again, it's bringing people together. And I think that's something that is kind of a, for me, a little bit of a theme that it's still, everything seems to be still a little bit fragmented in terms of trying to solve the challenges and address the challenges that we're facing in retail. Mm, and just re- reflecting on that, that piece about jobs, it reminds me, uh, thinking back to Retail Week Live, which I know we were both at a couple of months ago, and Judith McKenna, CEO of Walmart International, talking about how jobs are evolving, but how also retail gives so many people a head start into their career. It's the first job that the majority of people probably have. And it is critical, but like you say, that the, the roles are changing, you know, data scientists, etc. It's going to be interesting to see how that plays out, isn't it? I think it is. And I think kind of, again, net net out of all of it, I think that the, the jobs that will be in retail in the future will generally be far more interesting than they are today. Because I remember that, I was in that session as well, that, and, and I remember that, and Walmart, I know, are trialling this um, in in the US with robots that are checking 
um, availability on, on the shelves and they are navigating amongst mm. shoppers. I remember her saying that it's not, this isn't a thing overnight when the store is closed. This is during the day when shoppers are there. So um, quite interesting. Whether that's going to become widespread, who knows? But I think for store um, staff, for store colleagues, the skill set is going to, and the requirements are going to change. And I think what we're going to see is a more typically the people who are working in the more specialist retailers at the moment. So I'm thinking of perhaps Lululemon, Rafa. You know, if you work in a Rafa, you're probably a keen cyclist. So I think that we're going to see that filter through more. You know, we do see it. You know, we've seen Dixon's car phone. Generally, you're going to be interested in electronics and TVs and music and whatever it happens to be. Uh, but I think we'll see that filter through more and more in, in retail in, in the, the sort of um, people that are, that are attracted to it. And I think we've we've always seen an element of that. I'm thinking, you know, HMV and Virgin Records mm. would have music enthusiasts because you get to be surrounded and embedded in it all day long. Um, it's 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 an evolution. But I think the community piece is is a really interesting piece as well. Mm. And I think. That's one of the pieces I know. I know Rafa do a brilliant job of um, building a community up, and it's one of the bits that I I love about them. I'm not a cyclist myself, but I love that piece, and I know I've I've spoken about it on the podcast before. I think it was when I was uh, chatting with George McDonald. So yeah, that's interesting. So those are some of the big challenges we've we've got: sort of online, Amazon, the whole uncertainty around political situations, rising costs. Is there anything else? I think the other main one for me uh, that retailers have to face up to, and, and that's, and, and for me, the biggest, I mean, I'm, I mentioned Amazon, and for a lot of people, they're the biggest disruptor. No, they're not. The biggest disruptor uh, are you and I and our um, audience. You know, in other words, all of us as consumers, because our demands and expectations are just rising exponentially. And um, uh, it always fascinates me to, to, kind of pose the question as to what is driving that. And I think one of the things is that it, it's kind of almost taken on a, a life of its own. And, and part of it is is because retailers are offering more and more and more. Um, the obvious thing there is in free delivery and returns. Mm. I don't see any sign of that um, slowing down. So whenever we are on the receiving end of what we feel is good or great you know, customer service, that simply raises the bar. Um, even even higher. And I just wonder whether all of that is sustainable. And I mean that from a, a business commercial perspective rather than an environmental, although that um, is, is another huge um, topic which you know is, is gaining uh, very rapid traction within retail and for retailers to be, seem to be sustainable mm. to do far more uh, about it. But Again, that's a kind of like a, a separate topic. But in terms of the, you know, the, the other challenge for retailers, I would say that it's, it's us, it's consumer expectation. Yeah, no, absolutely. That's a really good point. So we're all facing the same challenges. Every retailer is in the same marketplace or certainly a similar marketplace in terms of all these, these trends and, and impacts going on. Why is it that some are doing well and some not so much? I think you can sum that up in one word, and that's relevance. So uh, this week, we've heard that Arcadia have filed seven 
CVAs, company voluntary arrangements, and that they have published mm. uh, a list of 23 stores across. When I looked the other day, I think it does cover all seven of those brands, hence the seven CVAs. Right. And that's you could say, well, that's a small number out of just over 500, not counting all the international franchise stores. You say, well, why is a group like Arcadia, which, as we know, has brands like Topshop, Topman, uh, Wallace, Miss Selfridge, Dorothy Perkins, Burton, and so forth, why are, are they struggling? Well, they're, for me, they're struggling because their primary demographic uh, has grown up. So um, if you ask them, as I have done, it, it's pretty much 18 to 34-year-olds. So it, we're looking at the the, the, the top end uh, in age of uh, Gen Z uh, and the younger millennials. Mm -hmm. Well, <clears throat> in the last 10 years, they've all grown up. Uh, and, and what's happened is, so they're shopping elsewhere now, uh, but the brand, and I'm thinking particularly here of when we're talking about those generations of top shop, top man, the brand has re was, remained stationary. And, of course, we've had others come along mm. uh, in that period. ASOS, Boohoo, Misguided, Pretty Little Thing uh, are the ones that spring to mind, but there are plenty of other um, smaller ones. Topshop is just not relevant anymore. And by the same token, I was talking to somebody because I was uh, in Amsterdam last week at World Retail Congress, and I was talking to somebody there uh, from um, IBM about, and, and about uh, Selfridges. And he said, yeah, Selfridges, fantastic. He said that they, they passed the 15-year-old test. And I said, what's the 15-year-old test? And he said, well, it's that you can't, I couldn't drag my 15-year-old <clears throat> son out of the store because there was so much in there that he was engrossed in. And that's Selfridges. Now, could you imagine the same thing at a Debenhams or a House of Fraser? Because I couldn't. So to answer your question, I think it, uh, it all comes down to relevance. Sure, there are other things behind it, uh, and you could say price and product and availability and so on and so forth. But fundamentally, for that ever more demanding and uh, consumer who's expecting far more, they want the brand to be relevant to their life and their lifestyle. Uh, and they want to understand the brand. They want to understand what it stands for. So, for example, if I mention Primark, you know immediately what I'm talking about. You know it's going to be, yeah, okay, you know, again, putting fast fashion to one side because that's a whole separate debate. But you know the price point. You know the level of quality. You know you, in your mind you're going to get great value. Okay, you know you're going to have to queue a while to pay for, for it. Uh, but you know, generally, you know what you're getting. Um, with a lot of other brands, we're really not quite sure and, and and i think that is why we're seeing more and more struggle so we're going to take a pause right there and we'll be continuing this episode next week on the retail transformation show so if you've not already done so do hit subscribe and make sure you continue to come back and uh and join andrew and i as we continue discussing how to reinvigorate high streets and in particular Andrew's sharing some of his hot tips as to exactly what stores can do. Now as you were hearing in that conversation being relevant is just so important it's so critical in today's retail marketplace and that is of course a topic that I've dived into 
certainly with George MacDonald, that was episode 23 and 24. And then I also had a whole episode dedicated to it, how to become a relevant retailer. That's episode 25. So if you've not heard those episodes, I do encourage you, go and take a little listen now. Either, of course, you can find them in your normal podcast player, just scroll back a bit. Or if you're looking for the website, obandco.uk slash 23 or slash 24 for the George MacDonald episodes and slash 25, obandco.uk slash 25 for the episode I did all about how to become a relevant retailer. I'm going to put those links to those couple of episodes and more information in the show notes page, which today for you, sorry, lots of links here, (laughs) obandco.uk slash 35. I'm also including Andrew's Twitter handle at Andrew Busby and also his LinkedIn profile. If you want to reach out to him or, or to me as well, then that would be great to hear what your thoughts are. What do you think the biggest challenges facing physical stores are today? I know there's certainly a long list, which we perhaps only scratched the surface of, but hopefully we got the big ones. I'm not sure what you think. Do let me know. But right now, we are going to wrap up this episode. And remember to come back next week and join us for part two. It's a pleasure, as always, to join you. So thank you very much for listening and I'll catch you on the next episode. 